Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? A little damp. It's been raining every day. It was a very pretty rain today, though, because it was kind of a misty rain, and the water beads were 
so exquisite on the red clover leaves. Mm, nice. Beautiful. Right, you know how they had that thing, gem art, where you make a picture with gems? It was like that. They're like these little round gems of water covering the surface of the leaf, but each one individual so you could actually see the leaf and see the water droplets. Oh, it's just so stunning. And you and I have been talking about the Red Clover Conference. And Justine and I have been talking about the Red Clover Conference, and Justine and I have been making videos. Wow. Yeah, we've been making videos about Red Clover, and I've been um, meddling about at PubMed, because I know that trifolium has been studied. And I found a really interesting study where they looked at nine different trifolium species. One was the same species kind of twice, one regular one and one slightly hybridized one. But they included crimson clover and Persian clover and Egyptian clover and alphic clover as well as red clover. And actually, red clover was not like the star player in terms of phytosterols or in terms of any of the um, renowned medicinal effects, the other clovers um, were just as good, if not better, in several respects. So I'm glad that we decided to make it Red Clover and her sisters. Yes, that's fascinating. Wow. Wow, I didn't, I have not come across a study yet with that many, with, did you say seven species? Nine. Is that what you said? Nine. Nine. Did they have nine species? Yeah. What? Fascinating. That is and they were looking at the, the, the phenolic compounds in, mm. in the because they weren't even specifically looking at the um, phytosterols. Interesting. So wow. let's see. Da 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 da. Here it is. This is the one we want. Since I brought it up. The anti-adhesive and anti-aggregatory effects of phenolics from trifolium species. Trifolium alexandrum, fragiferum hybridum, that's all psych clover. Incarnatum, that's crimson clover. Paladum, resupinatum, that's Persian clover. Scabrum and protense are red clover. T. scabrum had the strongest antiplatelet effects. T. scabrum and some of the other clover species possess significantly higher concentrations of both isoflavones and other bioactive phenolics compared to red clover. Hmm. Wow. So often when I'm teaching about red clover, I mention this is a non-native plant. Um, as a matter of fact, I think you mentioned that you had found some websites which called it a noxious weed. Oh, maybe. That's possible. 
Right, and that um, the native people had a well-established use of white clover, um, which is native here, but generally within, uh, I mean, like less than a decade of red clover being introduced, they switched to using red clover. Mm. And I said, and I don't think it's because red clover is more effective. I think it's because red clover is bigger. The individual flowers are a lot bigger. And because the flowers are held much closer to where human hands are. Mm-hmm. Right? Picking alpha clover and white clover, which I've done a little bit of this year, you might as well just get down on your hands and knees and crawl. <laughs> so true. Right? Yeah, definitely. They're like way down there. <laughs> Where's the red clover? Red clover, you know, a little graceful bow gets you a red clover blossom. If you're clever enough to, to cultivate it someplace where you can reach up to it, that works too. <laughs> so we want to remind everyone that <gasps> school starts, and that means you need to be thinking about your red clover shorts. Because red clover, it doesn't last all year long. You can still have it once school's open. Depending on where you live, the red clover, like where you are, you have red clover through September into October. Yes, no, maybe? Mm-hmm. Definitely through September and probably the beginning of October. Right. So I know you have things to say about red clover. And one of the videos that I made with Justine today I talk about um, a real difference between the conference that we had on Comfrey, and Comfrey's controversial, and the conference we had on Hypericum, which isn't so controversial, but it's like a showy plant and makes this red tincture and red clover, which, mm. which although it is being bad-mouthed, Really severely, people aren't aware of it. Justine said to me, "So why are we doing a, a conference on red clover anyhow?" Oh, interesting. Right. Wow. And I said, because you go to like established websites, websites that you would think I can trust. This website, it's not crazy people, it's not off-the-wall people, it's not people trying to sell me something. So you could go to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and it says, patients with hormone-sensitive cancers should avoid red clover due to its estrogenic activities. Right. Mm-hmm. Wrong! Yeah. All the, sites <laughs> the Mount Sinai yeah. website wrong. says... Women with a history of breast cancer should not ever take red clover. That's crazy. It says it about prostate cancer, too. And it's like, wow, that is so crazy. Right. So this is why we're doing a conference on red clover, so that people who have experience using red clover can speak from their experience, as they did at the Comfrey Conference and as they did at the Hypericum Conference. And that means you, listener, 
That means that your experience is important. You don't have to be like a certified, trained herbalist to do a short. The shorts are for everybody. You just get out there with your phone and you do a selfie, but you do a selfie video. And you hang with red clover and you see what stories you remember about red clover. In what way did you use red clover? How has it been important to you? I got a message today from a woman who said, you don't know me, but I just want you to know that I was able to use red clover along with, um, I think it's IVF they used, to have my baby girl. And she said it was her second assisted attempt. And she really thinks the red clover is what did it. Mm. So, again, I want, like, I hope that the Comfrey Conference stands there as a landmark for anyone who's seriously interested in herbal medicine and using Comfrey. I think it speaks for itself. I think we ended the fear. I think the Hypericum Conference also is absolute wonder, you know, 800 years of experience gathered together, which many, many of those presenters have used Hypericum as a single herb remedy. I think what's harder about red clover is that fewer people use it as a single herb remedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what kind of words are used to describe red clover? Alterative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is defined as gently altering physiological functioning. Functioning. Or tonic. It's a tonic, which means gently improves physiological functioning. Or it's a blood cleanser. And we know what blood cleanser means, right? Mm Mm-hmm. A blood cleanser is a euphemism for an herb that was used to treat venereal disease. Mm. Nowadays, people think of blood cleansers as like, oh, maybe it'll get the bad stuff out of my blood. They don't really know, you know, what was going on. But because there aren't really, let's face it, super effective herbs against venereal disease, also in down there, I, you know, tell you about the very best of the best and how you can use them. Um, Nonetheless, um, especially in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, that wasn't so well established. And so it became kind of the way to treat things by using a lot of herbs together because you weren't quite sure what any of them were doing. Let me see if I can find... I was reading from Vero Tyler earlier today. Oh, it always opens to chickweed. (laughs) Which he says, useless. Useless. Here we go, red clover. During the early years of the 20th century, that's the early 1900s, more than a half dozen major pharmaceutical companies manufactured and marketed trifolium 
compound preparations. Mm. One included red clover plus seven other vegetable drugs. They were widely sold as alteratives, that is, cures for venereal disease. Trifolium continued to be listed in the national formulary until 1946. And then, in another book, I'm shocked to discover, because I thought I had really, like, explored Essiac. But it turns out that in 1938, uh, Nurse Casey decided that Essiac was far more effective if she added red clover to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that she actually said she thought that it potentized the anti-cancer effects of the burdock root. And to this day, the SAAC that is sold in Canada contains red clover. Wow. So, on one hand, we have herbalists and herbalism saying red clover is one of the most powerful anti-cancer herbs out there that's still totally safe. And on the other hand, we have like the medical establishment screaming at us, stay away from red clover if you have cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Male or female. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So what else is going on? I get letters. Um... It has been a year that I've been working on this correspondence course. Well, I've done a lot of reading, practicing. I've made and used remedies, and and I feel, capital letters, empowered. I am a woman of worth. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, There is so much available. I, I, I can say with a certainty I have changed, grown, and become my honest self more through this coursework with you, the focus and support you offer. And one of the things I read online, well, I know now that I can be present. I can listen to myself, I can show up for myself and for relationships I care about. I have decided to be unashamed to be alive. Not bad for somebody who's doing a, a herbal correspondence course. Mm. Right? Mm, so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> the view at my window is a flowering weeping cherry tree in full bloom. Obviously, she wrote this letter a while ago. I can feel the spring energy, being a willing participant and witness in the community that you are nurturing and creating has aided my ability to give myself permission to enjoy this moment and my life. There are moments that I don't want to, I'm uncertain. I still question 
But it's no longer the norm in my day-to-day experience. It's just moments. I have learned now to nourish myself and pay attention to my needs and take care of myself. And now I can expand out into the world and coexist with nature and bring wonder to everyone. Aww. Yeah. She has love. Yeah, good for her. Mm-hmm. Good work. You know, it's so satisfying to get it yourself and then share people's medicine. It's just so oh, very, mm-hmm. very best. Yeah. Ethnographic studies are looking at how sharing herbal knowledge through social networking interacts with cultural evolution. A computer-based experiment demonstrated a sharing knowledge process by asking volunteers to create medicinal formulas by selecting combinations of six virtual medicinal plants. The most effective phytomedicine combination selected by the researchers was shared with the other participants. Working together, the group was able to create highly effective herbal formulas and to form a memory network that was far more extensive than what any one person could retain. Bayaka, hunter-gatherers in Africa, still do this. There is no single individual who knows how to use all 32 of their medicinal plants, but as a tribe, they remember everything. Mm -hmm. That's what I see these conferences. I see these conferences as our tribe, that we we have all of this memory, but it's a disseminated memory. No one person has to know it all. You can't. There's 10,000 plants that we know of in medicinal use. And they have one, one group of people with 32 medicinal plants, and not even one person knows how to use all of them. Be easy on yourselves, everybody, okay? Trust that there's a network of people involved. This is why it's people's. Anyhow, here I am talking the night away, and I haven't even given you a single moment. What's up? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. It's been a pretty just uh, quiet week for the most part here. Uh, Garden is still growing and we've been enjoying things we've not gotten to enjoy before from our personal garden. So we had corn day on Sunday night. So Yay. Um, <laughs> that was just like a first for us to ever, woo, like really have corn. So yay. Um, very this is corn you that. grew? Sweet corn you grew? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's our third Woo-hoo! year. Woo-hoo! How yes. many? How- how big, a, how big a plot of corn did you plant? Not that big. Um, there are three rows that are about mm, 15 feet long each. So not very big. 
um, and maybe actually there's three and a half rows, and but the yeah, and and yeah, and that's where. And so, did you did you get good pollination throughout? It seems like it. It does. Um, Yeah, it seems like it. Yes, there's um, there's a lot of ears on the stalks, like low down and higher up. So they've just started to be ready, and hopefully the weather will stay nice enough where they don't get damaged because that's how we lost them the first year was like one of the windstorms came through and laid them all down. Um, Ah, bah, bah, bah. (laughs) Right. Right, that was right. so sad. Right. I was fruitlessly trying to stand them back up and tie, you know, trellises, and <laughs> no, they were so oh, sad. No. <laughs> no, they're actually kind of shallow-rooted for all that they're big plants. Yes. yes, that has been, exactly, yes. They are so shallow-rooted, and then they get, like, top-heavy and want to fall over. So the beans um, worked beautifully this year. This was beans that we planted last year that were heirlooms and we saved some and planted them again this year and they are grown all the way to the tops of the corn and it's so beautiful and then that's where the goes <laughs> pop so, yeah I'm gonna, I'll send you some <laughs> great hey everybody Sarah Ellen sent me Anasazi beans she mm. found them at the Southwest Indian Foundation and sent me two pounds of Anasazi beans I don't know if I'm quite up to eating them yet, but I'm certainly going to plant some next year. Yay! Yay! I, I, you know, I don't live in the desert southwest, or, and so I'm not sure that they'll grow here or have a long enough growing season, but maybe I'll start a couple inside and see if I can get them to to think that they're in a warmer climate. Fun. <laughs> It's amazing how willing so many And I want are. to let you know that the that the pile of Hypericum t shirts is dwindling. Mm. If you've been thinking, oh, I need one of those Hypericum t shirts, think no more and get yourself one before they are never again to be seen. And the Comfrey mm-hmm. Goddess um is complete and she will soon be unveiled. And you get a chance to, everybody will get a chance to see the Comfrey Goddess. And I'm um, asking my dreams to show me what kind of shirt she's on. Mm, this is the Red Clover Goddess. The Red Clover Goddess. Red Clover Goddess. Got it. The Red oh, Clover Goddess. Mm, mm. Yes, Durga. Erga and I have come to the conclusion of her back and forth on it. It was an interesting thing. The black and white, we always start with the black and white drawing. And, you know, Red Clover has so many roots. And the black and white drawing had roots, 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 roots everywhere. And then when it went to color, like the roots just made you crazy. Ooh. It was just too much. I said, oh, you have to paint over them and bring them like, you know, down, they were like all inside her body. Mm. Mm. And it was just fine in black and white. But wow, when it went into a color image, it was not. We had to make the major revision. But that's okay. That's what it's about. Looking at it and looking at it and looking at it again. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. 
going to be fun to see her. <laughs> mm. Well, I guess I should ask if anybody wants to ask any questions. Oh, um, wait. Yeah. Wait, Susan, oh. wait, wait, wait. No, you can't do that. You, can't. you have to talk about your very exciting guest. Maya Sheetrick oh, is going to be here at 9 o'clock. Ah, oh, my goodness. Oh, how terrible that I almost didn't say. Maya Sheetrick is a neurologist and herbalist and urban farmer and the author of The Dirt Cure, The Master Plant Experience. She is just absolutely amazing. She teaches earth-based programs for transformational healing, including a professional training programs for psychedelic-assisted approaches. She's going to be here at 9 o'clock, so stick with us or come back at 9 o'clock East Coast time for Maya Sheet Treat. Oh, And well, we... now I will ask if there are any questions. Yes, we have uh, lots of hands up this evening, and I'll remind everyone, if um, you are looking to speak live with Susan this evening, please press 1, and then we will see your hand go up in the queue, and we'll know you have a question, and we'll open your line to speak live with Susan. All right, so we are going to go to the hand that I saw first, um, and then the hand went down, and now your hand is back up, so I'm going to go to you first in the 214 area code. In the 214, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Celette. Hey, Celette. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I have a question for you. Um, I've been having some joint and muscle pain that seems just diffuse and unspecific. I wake up in the morning and I describe it as I feel like a rusty gate every you morning. You feel like a what? Rusty gate. A rusty My gate. Oh, dear. I wasn't expecting that, so it was hard to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, my joints, especially my lower extremities, are sore and stiff and creaky, and it takes a good 20 minutes, and I'm, then I'm fine. I'm live and supple, and I can move. And um, I feel okay, but it's very painful. If I have to get up in the middle of the evening of my sleep at to pee, I'm in pain. It's not just rusty gait. It's painful, my joints. And I'm trying to find someone to ally with, to help with this, and I'm not having a lot of luck. Well, pain in the morning, and stiffness, which are relieved by getting up and moving, is pretty classic arthritis symptom. Yippee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dinosaurs, okay. dinosaurs had arthritis. It's been with us for a long time. Ah. But it's an itis. What does itis mean? Is it inflammation? Correct. So arthritis is inflammation of the arts. The arts, right, the joints. The arts. It's like, broadly speaking, 
the connective tissue and the things that are supposed to be flowing and moving around. We could loosely call it circulation, but people usually think blood circulation, but more than that, right? Like lymphatic circulation and nerve circulation of energy through the nerves. Okay. So one, one way to reduce that is to be more active during the day. That makes sense. I got a job uh, working in a health food store, which has me on my feet for nine-hour shifts. Um, and the soreness has, uh, has abated a little bit, but it's just a little bit. Just a little bit, yeah. Because nine hours is a lot. <laughs> right. It's kind of like that. You go, you go, go past the helpful point into the oops, now it's a stress point. Right. Right. Another thing is to use, before you go to sleep, herbs like poke root or cleavers that help, or even chickweed, that help improve flow. Ah, okay. And I have a big quart of chickweed tincture that I made this spring. Not quite yeah, sure what to do go. with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, now we know. <laughs> right. Some people find it, that if they wear compression socks at night, that that gate is not so rusty in the morning. Okay. Because I work with, I wear compression socks at work when I work. So take them off for a while with. When you're home, and then maybe put them back on at night. You know, uh, put them back on, yeah. And especially one. Do you have any toeless ones? I don't have any toeless ones, um, but I've seen nice them. To, I've seen them nice advertised. They give you wiggle room. Okay. So, um, but it's not like you have to have to have that. And and for each one of us. Um, it's a combination of various things. In a situation in which I'm feeling that there's a lot of inflammation, I like to say, well, let's, you know, get some more linden going. Let's make sure you're doing the linden rebrew. Yeah, um, okay, I've been doing linden, and most of the time I do the rebrew. Depends on when it falls in my rotation. Um, right. And when it hits my work schedule, some work yeah. sometimes I'm very I don't have time, but I try to get Linden at least once a week. That sounds good. How about five times a week? So what you do is you make your quart of Linden, and then you rebrew, and you have two more cups, and then you go on to whatever your next infusion is, but you have half a cup of Linden. And then the next infusion, you still have half a cup because that two cups of rebrew will last in the refrigerator for close to a week. Okay. And I didn't you know, know if you don't have if you don't have time to bring it up to boil, just put cold water over the leaves in a pan and put the lid on it and leave it. Just like that. Okay. And then when you're back in the kitchen, you can turn the fire on under there and bring it up to boil and turn it off and let it steep, and we'll get. But more stuff because of 
sitting around in the cold water. I just don't tell people okay. to do that because most people won't. And it's okay. But the stuff we're looking for is more cold water extractable. Okay. And I can totally work with that. Yeah, and again, linden is not protein rich. So it's not like we're letting nettle sit out all day or red clover or any of the, you know, the comfrey or the oat straw, which are very, very rich in protein. So we have a little more slack. As a matter of fact, if I had, okay, well, I don't know how many people are going to be here. I'm going to make enough linden for the biggest amount of people that I think might be here. And then if I'm really wrong, it's okay. We'll just drink linden for days. Okay. I can do that. All right. And you know that Susan thinks that one of the biggest culprits of inflammation is black pepper or any spicy pepper. So if there's any of that still lingering in your diet, at least give it a trial to see what happens if you let it go. I love to tell the story of the uh, local artist who has come before COVID to every workshop that I did in Woodstock and heard me say over and over again, you know, no, you know, cayenne pepper, no jalapeno pepper, no black pepper, um, no curry, no no barbecue sauce. And she uh, told me she, that she always thought, oh, poo-poo. And I love my hot sauce. Until she woke up with her hands really stiff, and day by day they were getting stiffer. And she's an artist. She has to hold a paintbrush. And when you know, it was really seeming threatening to her, she said, all right, I'll try that crazy woman's idea. And she said, whoa. She said she was astonished at how fast the pain and swelling in her hands went away once she stopped eating pepper. Now, she had been eating a lot of hot food. Yeah, I so don't eat made, a lot of hot. And I know you don't eat a lot, right? So it made a pretty dramatic effect for her, but. Yeah. Of course, one of the real problems of being a healthy person, eating a healthy diet, is you, there's not much left to tinker with. Yeah, I I have I don't eat a lot of the ways that you you have suggested over time, just because I have found that some of those things are problematic for my individual system, and so I'm a fairly keto carnivore heavy. Um, and I don't get a lot of grain and beans, which I miss terribly, but they shoot my blood sugar into the stratosphere consistently. Difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I know that you work with um, slow-cooked meat. Yes. It's probably going to be less inflammatory than quickly okay. cooked meat. So, uh, you know, like a braised thing that cooks for hours is less inflammatory than okay. a steak or hamburger. Then, and I definitely do oxtail, like my favorite are oxtails. <laughs> Oh, yeah, long, slow cooking. Yeah. 
Justine and David, I think, bought an oxtail when we were in Costa Rica. We wound up cooking it in what, like an electric skillet because there was no stove there. <laughs> the smell, the wonderful smell of oxtail cooking all night in that electric skillet, uh, which was kind of shallow. So one of us had to uh, uh, rotate it through getting up and putting more water on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all that good collagen, yum, yum. Yes, delicious. It's absolutely my favorite. Well, this is helpful because I hadn't actually I had I know that I have osteoarthritis on one of my knees. I'm down to bone on bone. But I hadn't associated that with some of the more generalized creakiness of the rest of my lower extremities. And so it makes sense that that would be arthritis and it would be inflammation based. And this gives me a lot a lot more to to sort of work with. You're a good worker. I know you get good results. Yes, I hope so, and I appreciate your knowledge, and I hope that my help, my, my comment helps somebody else out there who might feel like a rusty gate first thing in the morning. Okay, here's to all the rusty gates. May they swing more thank smoothly. Yes, thank Love you, Love you, Celeste. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, and we have eight callers that have pressed one to let us know that they've got a question. I'm sorry, did you say only- eight? Yes, we've got eight hands raised. So um, all right, yeah, I'll try to be. Back. I will try to be more succinct. All right, I will make eight best four. effort at succinctness. All right, we are all right. going to open the line. Okay, so our next caller is dialed in from your neck of the woods, the eight four five area code. From the eight four five, you're live with Susan. Thank you, Sarah Ellen. Hi, hi, Susan. Hi. This is Diane up the road. Hi. What's up? What's up tonight, Diane? Hi. Hi. Uh, I keep running into comfrey everywhere I go. It's just the most bizarre friend I've had in a long time. Like, I, I just can't believe how much it's been doing for my bones and my ligaments, my tendons. And I thank you so much for insisting that we work with her uh, to the full extent we're able to. Um, I did attend your Comfrey conference, but I I can't get back in for silly reasons of my own. But So um, I've worked with only the leaf so far, making an oil. And the flowers are so beautiful. And, of course, I would like to get some root, and I just wanted to ask you uh, how to go about that and when uh, and if to mix them or what parts with what. And um, I, I'm not even sure if you can make a tincture out of it. I, I just can't remember. Um, could you Could you go on about that one more time? Sure. At the Comfrey Conference, uh, Rico Check talked about making Comfrey root tincture from Symphytum officinale. Which I believe many this other, is. Many other people at the conference talked about making Comfrey root tincture, but I specifically bring up uh, Rico's presentation 
because he did what he needed to do given the circumstances. Is that the guy who lost his leg? He had a friend. He didn't lose his leg. He was in an automobile accident and every bone in his body was broken. Yeah, him. Yeah. Right, he didn't lose his leg. No, he he had all all of his limbs. And so we went out and dug Comfrey Root right then. He didn't wait. He didn't say, oh, it's best to dig Comfrey Root after the frost hit. He is, but he didn't wait. He just went out and dug it. Mm-hmm. I remember watching made, it. And yeah. made tincture from it, from the root of a fish and Alice, right? And then gave I it remember. huge amounts to his friend. Oh, yeah. He was giving his, giving his friend, what did he say, eight ounces of comfrey root tincture a week. That's over an ounce a day. Wow. Yeah, and I the remember man runs, And the man runs marathons now. I was thinking this is wild, and I know I need to do it because why else would she befriend me wherever I go. There she is. I'm like, oh, okay, there hello. she is. So people who are frightened of Comfrey, and if they go to the Comfrey Conference, they won't be, are most frightened of the root, are yeah, most frightened of the root tincture, and are yeah. most frightened of the root tincture of Symphytum officinalis. Why? Which, again, is why I talk about this particular presentation where we're presented with the ah, wrong part of the plant, ah, prepared in the wrong way, ah, harvested at the wrong time, ah, given in two big ah, it's the wrong kind of plant, and it works fantastically. Right. Right? Yeah. And again, he's not, he's not taking a cup of comfrey root tincture for the rest of his life. No. He did, no, for, no, no. A, he did it for a short while, probably. Right. Probably accountable in months. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. Yep. Mm-hmm. I do know, okay. however, that long usage of the leaf because I've been drinking the leaf infusion yeah. a quart every five days for about thirty five years has no side effects or detrimental effects at all. Right. I'm not afraid of the leaf at all. No, of course yeah. not. It's it's the root that gets oh, people okay. rolling their eyes and hyperventilating. So, but and as you say, the, you, but ideally, with all perennial roots, we wait until after frost. The idea being that the energy and the nutrients and everything that are in the things that are in that plant are going to be in the root after the frost, because the frost is going to stop photosynthesis and the plant has to rely on the root mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you can only pick roots at that time I was okay. fascinated to learn that people generally pick chicory root while it's flowering if they want to make chicory coffee because it makes it less bitter and less medicinal oh why are herbalists going right. out there and waiting for the frost? Because they want it more bitter and more medicinal. So, well, no, we just want to drink some roasted chicory. We want it to be sweet. We don't want all those medicinal. We're going to go out in July and pick it. What? Yeah. So I'll experiment. I'll remember that I'm devoting the remaining 25 years of my life to reminding us all you can't do it wrong. Yeah, I'll I'll pick some now and and you know I'll see how that goes because it's it's going to be like the usual six to eight weeks, right, with the tincture. Right. 
then and then I'll I'll grab some after the frost also and and see like how that goes. Yeah. All right. Well, my foot's mm-hmm. coming along really nice. I have um, like an uh, an ankle leg air cast, mm-hmm. and yeah, oh yeah, woohoo! Um, I'm actually able to play um, games of pool for like a half an hour without a crutch. Okay, that's uh-huh. amazing. It, it, it is, especially when they said I might lose my leg, but I really would never walk again, you know. And I'm like, oh, you don't know me, and you don't know seaweed. <laughs> and comfrey, and they don't know comfrey. Comfrey the comforting. Yeah. Even my doctor wanted to know what have I been doing. I'm like, comfrey and hypericum. <laughs> I slather that baby up like a roasted chicken going in the oven for a few hours. <laughs> Uh, okay. Okay, I'm so gonna cut us a little short and say green blessings so I can answer another question. Oh thanks for your um, diet. Okay, thank you. Good night, green blessings. All right, and we'll move to our next caller. Uh dialed in from the five eight five area code. From the five eight five you are live with Susan. Hello in the five eight five, you are live. All right. I'm not hearing okay. anyone, so we'll put you on hold and go to the next caller, who's also from the 585. From the 585, you are live with Susan from the 585. Hi. Hello. What are you supposed to do? Hi. Green blessings from 585. Which one? You. You're the one. Okay, me. It's... Um, so I recently, um, had a doctor's appointment. I went through menopause at probably, I was completely finished by age 30. Never did any Fosamax or anything, just did like weight bearing and grow bone and all kinds of good stuff and DEXA scan is okay. Recently, my thyroid came out fine, but she says it's the parathyroid. I have hypercalcemia, which means I'm pulling uh, calcium from the bones into the blood she wants to take out. We have to find out which one of the four little parathyroids is the culprit, and then she wants to excise it. I'm like, I don't think so. So anyways, I'm leaching calcium from my bones into the blood, and it's a parathyroid issue according to the Western medical doctor. Tell me what you learned about your parathyroid. Uh, it's a hormone that regulates. It's it's a gland and a hormone that regulates how much calcium goes stays in the bones or goes into the blood. And why does it move calcium from the bones to the blood? I don't know. Because it perceives a lack of calcium for the nervous system, the hormone system, and the immune system. The bones are the bank. 
the immune system, the nervous system, and the hormone system, which I call the great braid because they work together, are the spendthrifts. So we bank the minerals in our bones, but we spend them with our nervous system and with our immune system and with our hormonal systems. If you are getting enough minerals from your diet, then you don't have to take a loan from the bank. Okay. But if you're not getting enough minerals from your diet, then the loan officer, the parathyroid, says, excuse me, we're going to have to take out a loan here. Okay. Your national, your national debt has gotten too high now, and we're going to have to bring this down. We cannot afford to have these things working without minerals. So okay, let me so ask, the minerals yes, have to be pulled. Where do we get minerals from? We're pulling from the bones. Where do we get minerals from? We can get minerals from our food if our food is well. No, but I mean if the parathyroid is overactive, it's taking a loan from the bone. What I'm saying is the parathyroid is only overactive because... Of a mineral deficiency. Of a mineral deficiency, correct. And not a specific mineral deficiency, but a general mineral deficiency. So what are your major sources of minerals? Um, kale, kale um, milk. Tell me how long you cook your kale. A lot of times I just chop it up and uh, marinate it and eat it raw. You can't get any minerals of any kind from raw kale. You cannot? Absolutely not. It's not a source of minerals if you're eating it raw. In fact, you can't get minerals from kale until it's been cooked for at least an hour. Okay. Think of, think of that in minerals. Is gold a mineral? Sure. Is silver a mineral? Yeah. Is copper a mineral? Yeah. So if we find a rock with silver or copper or gold in it, how do we get that mineral out of the rock? You mine it. Okay. Now you have rock with gold in it. How do you separate the rock from the gold? With a pick and an axe. Oh, no. Uh, from the... You know, like the panning, panning for gold. Well, when you're panning for gold, that's gold flakes. But I'm talking about an actual rock with minerals in it. To get the minerals out, you heat the rock. And the oh. mineral melts at high temperatures and comes out of okay. the matrix. So you okay. cannot get the minerals from raw kale. Okay. You have to Thank cook you, the kale. Okay. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? I will now. Okay, so you know about nourishing herbal infusions. Yeah. Okay. Nourishing herbal infusions are nourishing herbs that provide a lot of minerals. And I rotate through five, stinging nettle, oat straw, comfrey leaf, red clover, and linden. I weigh out one ounce of herb, put it in a quart jar, fill the jar to the top with boiling water, tightly lit it, let it steep overnight. With some of the herbs, which are kind of fluffy, you want to stir it with a wooden spoon and then add more water so that your jar is really full because the herb will absorb water and make the jar unfull. 
let it steep, as I said, four hours or overnight, strain it out, squeeze the herb to get everything out of it, and then refrigerate the liquid. That's what you drink. The idea is to drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion a day. And the other thing that I strongly recommend for women with mineral issues, especially uh, mineral issues affecting their bones, is that they absolutely stop drinking water. Stop drinking water? Immediately. Okay, what's wrong with water? It leaches minerals out of your body. Let me ask you this. If you wanted to hydrate your face, would you put water on it? Uh, I never thought of that. If you wanted to hydrate the skin on your body, would you put it in water? Everyone knows that water is dehydrating, and yet somehow they think that drinking it is hydrating. The more water you drink, the more dehydrated you get. The thirstier you are, the more water you drink, the more you pee, the more dehydrated you get, the more minerals you lose, the more you drink, the more you drink, the more you pee, the more minerals you lose, and so it goes. You need to stop drinking water. Okay, so water infused with herbals. Exactly, you know, herbal infusion. You take your water, you boil it, and you pour it over your herb, and that's how you get your water, right? Okay. You drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion. If that's not enough for you, and you like coffee, drink some coffee. Up to five cups of coffee a day is excellent health benefits. Or drink some black tea or some green tea. Those are also tremendously healthy beverages. Um, I usually just make some green tea ahead and stick it in the refrigerator in the summer so I can have iced green tea if I run through my quart of infusion. We also make hibiscus okay. infusion and keep that in the refrigerator so that we have access to that as well. On days when it's hot and smuggy and I'm sweating and I need more than a quart of infusion. And I always say, oh, you know, I couldn't recommend coffee and tea without bowing to the third of the triumvirate, which is hot chocolate, which is a wonderful way to go to sleep. Not hot chocolate mix, honest hot chocolate that you make yourself with organic powdered cocoa, a spoonful and a spoonful of organic sugar mixed together, put your milk in it, yum, yum. It sounds delicious. I add a little bit of mint to mine as well to really make it decadent. Oh, so decadent. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I am cutting people just a little short tonight because there are eight of you in line, and I want to see how many of you I can answer. So I think I've given you some things to go on. That's fine. That's great. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. Let's let's fine-tune it, okay? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Blessings. Good night. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Right. All right. We've had one caller um, disconnect and four hands still raised. So we'll go to the next hand. Oh, make that. Yeah, four. Four hands still raised. The next is from the 804 area code. From 804, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Um, My name is Pam. It's so wonderful to talk to you. I adore you. Um, Thank you, Pam. I have... (laughs) 
Um, I have been working um, recently with a natural doctor who suggested that I go to a physiologist for a test because all the testing that we've been doing um, with the regular blood work is not coming up with what might be going on, and she was suspecting suspecting lines. Um, and it turns out, um, after seeing the blood work um, that the physiologist did, um, that I definitely do have lines, um, and then it's long-standing. And along with that is also proof of, I mean, I forget exactly what it's called, um, cat scratch. The um, that there's also fungus. And, tularemia. Um, excuse me. Is that tularemia? The oh, cat I scratch. don't. I. The cat I think if I'm not yeah. I'm I'm not sure what the, the actual name of it is. Um and then they saw lots of biocell masses, um, nematodes, um, and that my blood cells, my red blood cells are Rulex, um, the stat coin like formations. Um and so it's making so much more sense now. Um how I eat healthy, I do infusions, like do all kinds of things, um, to be healthy, but um it's just my body's not bouncing back. Um, and so, Bounce, I'm sorry, bouncing back, bouncing back. Yes. Um, from? because it's, it seemed to all stem from, um, 10 years ago when my twins were born. Um, it, it probably what we, what we think now is that, um, maybe it was dormant, um, because the lines, she says it looks like it's been decades old, um, depending because of the amount of biofilm that's in the blood, um, and so that possibly it could have been maybe dormant um, or maybe in a dormant-like state. And then the pregnancy and birth of twins and nursing them for three and a half years sort of, I guess, made things not be dormant anymore. And um, I haven't – it just – When you were nursing your twins for three and a half years, were you drinking at least three quarts of infusion a day? Oh, not a, not three quarts a day, but I was during pregnancy, yes. Um, but it was probably more I usually like one quart a day. A quart a day in ordinary life, two quarts a day during pregnancy, and three quarts a day when lactating. And for twins, I could even go up to four. Mm. Wow. Okay, yes. So I definitely wasn't getting four quarts a day. Huge sure. drawdown on your immune system, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that length of yeah. nursing. So... Right. Yeah, so that so that would also might also be a thing to think about now. I hear that you're drinking the nourishing herbal infusions, and you might mm-hmm. want to think about drinking more and then adding okay. um, some adaptogens like astragalus, acarnopsis, or amla, so that you have them on hand in the refrigerator and can be drinking those as well. My jaw always clenches when I hear people talking about tests of the hair and the saliva and the blood that are showing Mm -hmm. things that ordinary tests don't show. And one Mm -hmm. of the reasons my jaw clenches is that my experience is that those kinds of results usually come with a suggestion to buy an awful lot of supplements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And there was a couple and of supplements. there's issues. just no way that I've ever mm-hmm. seen anybody get better by taking supplements. Okay. Yeah. 
it's completely up to you. You have a lot invested in this. I can tell by the way you're talking about it that you're very taken mm-hmm. by it and taken by all of it. Um, and so maybe it's worth it for you because if they don't harm you, then the supplements could serve as a placebo. Okay. You know, if you, but I don't think that to my satisfaction, it has been shown that these kinds of tests do anything other than make money for the practitioners. Mm. Back in the day when hair analysis was all the big ballyhoo at the functional doctors. Consumer Mm -hmm. Reports had a man and a woman take samples of their hair and send them to six different hair analysis clinics or centers. And they published the results. And they were so different from clinic to clinic. If you went to an ordinary lab and had blood drawn and did a standard blood work panel, which could include a test for Lyme disease, and you went to a different place and had blood drawn and had a blood work panel, the results would be the same. Okay. I personally doubt that if you replicated these studies at another place that you would get the same results. Hmm. Okay. So, again, if, you know, if there's a very strong belief, that can be very powerful. Right. I was told the story of a man who was asked if he would take an experimental drug that might cure his lung cancer, and he said definitely, and it did cure his lung cancer. And 40 years later, he read an article that said that that drug was ineffective against lung cancer, and he was dead of lung cancer within the month. Oh, my God. So I am the absolute belief in the power of belief. you, You have to judge, right? You have already invested. I was complaining about, oh, you know, it says, oh, this simple trick, like, you know, cure cellulitis overnight or whatever it is. Use this simple trick and you can see, you know, 70 miles for the rest of your life or whatever. And you click through and it says, I'm going to tell you in just a minute this one simple trick. But first, I have to tell you about my mother, blah, 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 blah. And then it says, now, about this simple trick. Well, this simple trick is so important because my brother, blah, 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 blah. And so I can plain to my sweetheart. He said, they're never going to share the trick with us. He said, they are, but it's right at the end, and then they want you to buy it. And by then, you're going to buy it because you've already invested time and money. Right, exactly. And once we've invested that energy and that time, we're set up for buying the stuff. Right. And that's part of what they're doing. They know mm-hmm. they're doing it. That doesn't mean that they're unscrupulous individuals or that they want to do anything other than help you. Right. I I trust that they are wonderful people who really want to help you. I'm just not sure that their methods are the best way to go, especially if these things are true. Right, exactly. Okay, so what 
when now you've got me questioning, um, I mean, I saw right there on the on the blood work when she was doing, but still, yeah. yes. The, the, what the, I'm saying uh, is you were to take do your blood and send it to another lab to have these same yeah. tests, would you get the same results? Right, exactly. That's what science is about. Science is about replication, not mm-hmm. one test from one lab. Right. I okay. had early on, when I had my very first cancer diagnosis, I asked the doctor to uh, prescribe a blood test for an enzyme that can be present in your blood if you have cancer in your body. And my score, I think, like, normal is up to 20, and my score was 4. She said, well, this test doesn't work very well. I said, you know, it's not a test to decide whether or not you have cancer. It's a test to track your cancer. And so I wanted it now, and then I want to have another test in six months or a year, whenever we decide to, to see if anything has changed. So at the end of that time, we did the test again, and it was eight, which is still way low. Right. Norm is up to 20. But for me, it was a 100% increase, wasn't it? Right. So that's what I'm looking at in blood work. I'm not generally mm-hmm. looking at what is this number and what is this number compared to normal. I want to do it, and then I want to do something, and then I want to do the same blood work again and see have any of those parameters shifted. Okay. Okay. So, hmm. the gripe I have against the gripe I have against supplements and herbs and capsules is that they're very stressful to the liver. And if you think that you have dormant viral infections or dormant Lyme disease, my preference would be to use things that are specific for that, not just kind of a, a general supplement whitewash. Right. Um, so my go-to that I was thinking about that was garlic, allspice, um, ginger lily, um, cinnamon bark, um, and I think of, what would you recommend? Stephen Booner has popularized astragalus as Mm a herb that strengthens the body's ability to deal with Lyme. So I like astragalus. It's easy to make as an infusion. You can rebrew it. And you can Mm -hmm. rebrew it with another quart of water so you can get two quarts of astragalus infusion from one ounce of astragalus. Or even just, you know, do two at once. That's good too. I like the second one because it's a little bit stronger because the brew's been sitting around in hot water for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. rather than just doing the two at once. And usually for people who have been told they have dormant Lyme and don't have any symptoms, 
a, half a cup to a cup of astragalus a day for six to eight weeks is enough. Oh. And astragalus is a tremendous immune tonic. And if um, there's other viruses, it's pretty likely that the astragalus will put them back into dormancy as well. Okay. In other words, we don't have to come in here and kill these things, right? You've been living with them for a while, and they've been dormant, but now mm-hmm. they're active, and so um, we don't necessarily need to eliminate them. We just need to make them dormant again. Okay. Okay. Oh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Because I've been, this has been, I, I don't go along with supplements. I don't go along with anything, and so I've actually been holding off in a couple weeks since I've gotten the results back, and it just hasn't felt right. Um, yeah, and so this is perfect timing yeah. to hear this message. Yeah. yeah, so keep up with your nourishing herbal infusions, maybe even increase that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Get some astragalus infusion going and be drinking that on a regular basis. And there are also two other herbs you might want to consider. Okay. When I was at the International Herbs Symposium this year, um, Matthew Wood was talking about teasel. Teasel, okay. And he said teasel is the herb for people to take who feel like they just can't get better even though they're doing everything right. Mm. So it's teasel root and... I use pretty small doses of it. He uses bigger doses of it. I use like three to five drops. And strangely enough, Matthew, who usually uses very small amounts, uses larger amounts of teasel. Like, okay. okay so, um, And then the other one, which I've heard Christopher Hobbs talk about frequently, is calendula. He says, calendula goes into the places in the body that no other herb can go and clears out old infections. So you might not want to, you know, start doing a bunch of new things at once, just in case you react to one of them. All right. So introduce them if you're not used to using them one at a time, so you get a sense of it. We certainly broke that rule at the Green Goddess Week. We gave them (laughs) how many different infusions did we make? (laughs) 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 Just like you know, we do the first day we do like you know, one of the five and so on through the first five days. And then we say, okay, and here's the other things. We're bad, 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 but there's like just quartz and half a gallon sitting out of people are like, oh, my gosh, elderberry, oh, my gosh, hawthorn, oh, wow, rose hips, mm-hmm. amla, oh, 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 yeah, like any berry makes a great infusion. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's, 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 right, it's and those are just, just, just perfect for you in this kind of situation. Okay. Okay. The teasel root tincture and the calendula, well, I would do that as an infusion, correct? Is, or is that what you're... Calendula tincture. Oh, t- calendula tincture, okay. Calendula tincture, yes. Yeah, he talks about using calendula as a tincture. As a matter of fact, I've been making a calendula tincture this summer. I just have, you know, about well, half a dozen calendula plants on my deck. So I have like a jar that I have filled with 100-proof vodka. Mm-hmm. And then every mm-hmm. morning, it's my ritual... I go out and pick, oh, there's one or two calendula flowers every morning. 
Mm-hmm. Right? You can see the right. You can see the orange one from this morning is bright in there, right? And the and so mm-hmm. as as I get more calendula flowers, I'm probably going to have to add a little more alcohol until I get my jar full. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to have some calendula tincture. Hurrah! I did that last year with my California poppies, you know, just going out every day and picking them. I mean, you don't have a lot of something. That's a good way to do it. We actually, we did that with the hypericum flowers this year, and we were just astonished. We got like, oh, gosh, I don't know, maybe half a gallon of tincture just by going out and picking the individual flowers. And not, we couldn't even do it every day because it was raining so many days. But, uh, oh, beautiful. I haven't thought about doing yeah. it like that, doing it one at a time. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Just drop it into your alcohol. Mm, and beautiful. away you go. I'm going to wish you green blessings and see if I can answer another Thank question you. before we talk to Maya Shidri. Good night. Thank you. And you can call Thank back you. and we can talk at greater length than other okay. time. Good, okay. Green Thank blessings. You. Good night. Thank you. All right. And there are six hands raised. There's only 43 minutes Wait, and 35 Oh, no, I thought I'd gotten it down to two. <laughs> Four minutes. Always nice to meet everyone. Um, we'll go on this caller. I, I'm only seeing um, one, so maybe you're calling in from online, or maybe you're Skype calling or dialed in from overseas. I've opened your line, and you're live with Susan. Hello. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thank you. Just quick. Hi. I just quickly want to touch base with you. I originally called uh, during the height of the pandemic, and I I made mention of the fact that I'd been diagnosed with the starting of cataracts, which is I'm not really in the age category of it. And you were kind enough to suggest I start cooking my vegetables, be it blanching them, boiling them, or what have you, to get the nourishment out of them for my eyes. So far, so good. Just Wanted to touch base with you to keep you up to date. Progress in it. So the eyes are doing nicely. Uh, doing the stinging nettle nourishing herb, uh, urban infusion. And also you were kind enough to share with me that when your mother had her cataract surgery, she reported that it was some of the finest vision she'd ever had in her life. So when the time comes, hopefully not too soon, I'm not too terrified of going through that particular procedure. So I just wanted to keep you touch base with you on that. Thank you so much for doing that. That's wonderful. And I will say, uh, having not experienced it personally, but having listened to people talk about it, and the people who are happiest are the ones who just get their cataracts out and new lenses in. And they start fiddling around doing other things, correcting your vision. Those people tend not to be as happy. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So I don't exactly, exactly. And so that's why I'm I'm just keeping up with the nourishing herbal infusions. Uh, they're keeping the cataracts at bay because I just don't that's care right. to so there's, get so my eyes cataracts mucked about with just it. where they were. They're not growing at all. Exactly. Hoorah. Exactly. Yes, ma'am. So, so I am so going glad. to keep up for everyone out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And everyone, uh, I love love my fresh veg, crunchy. But you gotta cook. Just what you said, you gotta cook that stuff. 
and don't throw out the water when you're cooking it. Drink the water if you want to stay hydrated. It's got all the herbs and things when it, it cooks in there. So I guess I guess I didn't explain that I don't send my vegetables for swimming lessons. Even something like sweet corn, I just put an inch of water in the bottom of the pan to cook it. Most of my vegetables, by the time I've cooked them for an hour, there's no water left to drink. Indeed. So it looks like we have time for uh, another question. All right, we will move right on to the 281 area code. From the 281, you are live with Susan. Hello, 281. Oops. Hello, can you guys hear me? We're not guys, but we can hear you. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Uh, my name is Yetzi. I'm calling from Houston, Texas. And thank you. The the question that I have um, is about depression. So I've been struggling with depression for for a few years, and I recently took your um, took the the Hypericum conference um, you know seminar and. I learned a lot about that herb, and I was wondering if you have any recommendations on how I could pair uh, the tincture of hypericum with another herb to improve and speed speed up the process, you know, to help me cope with, you know, the daily stress idea. Hypericum tincture needs to be made from the fresh flowering plant. Okay, but should... Can be, um, so I don't think that where you are in Houston in August, you're going to find that. So you're going to need to buy Hypericum tincture from okay. someone who knows to make it with the fresh flowers. Okay. And that would be Red Moon Herbs or Catskill Mountain Herbals. Okay. I know that they know what they're actually doing. Okay. So we can rest assured on that count. And um, I'm a simpler. It's kind of like you just asked me, who should I invite to get in bed with my husband and myself so we have better sex? (laughs) Okay. Okay? (laughs) Okay. So I guess I I just have to continue putting faith um, in Hypericum and, you know, just let it work its magic. Well, what I actually what I'd like you to do is to give me a call back next week or any week that's convenient so we can talk a little more because yes. in order to answer your question, I just let you say that you're dealing with depression, but depression doesn't exist. You're an individual person and you have individual things going on. And if yeah. we could talk about those individual things going on, I could be more useful to you, but we don't have time right now to do that. Sure. So please call back, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. Have a beautiful night. Thank you. You too. Green blessings. Good night. Bye bye. 
Bye-bye. All right. And it looks like there are two callers that have their hands raised. We will go to the 919 area code. Uh, from the 919, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, okay, I'll try to make it quick, but it might okay. be too long for, for tonight. But I just, I wanted to hear, I, I got a blood test recently. I'm 37 years old and mainly out of curiosity to look into my blood sugar um, and just be sure that that, that, was, that was in the, at good levels and everything. Um, and the only thing that came back, quote, unquote, abnormal <laughs> or too high was my LDL cholesterol. Um, and uh, I just kind of wanted to hear your thoughts about that. I, I eat a lot of saturated fat from, like, healthy animal fats. Um, and I've, I feel like it's great for my body. Um, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts. I have no idea what my total cholesterol is because my take on it is I am not going to have a test that I am not willing to take the drug that goes along with those test results. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, I'm not taking statins. That's not going to happen. So why do I even want to know what my cholesterol level is? Do you have heart disease in your family? No heart disease, no. Do you have symptoms of heart disease right now? No, <laughs> definitely not. Are you in an inflamed state? I don't think so. I mean, mainly my... I'm, my far, more, I'm far more interested in people's C-reactive protein levels than I am in their cholesterol levels. We still haven't really proven that cholesterol is a culprit... As somebody said, it's kind of like blaming the firefighters for the fire. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's always firefighters at a fire, but that doesn't mean the firefighters caused it. Uh-huh. So is cholesterol causative? Probably not. And certainly not dietary cholesterol. But is inflammation a culprit? Without a doubt, what is your C-reactive protein level? That wasn't on the panel as far as I know. That's not on the panel because it's not going to put you on a lifelong drug subscription. Uh-huh. We're telling you you have high cholesterol and it needs to be brought down and here's the drug to take for the rest of your life. does satisfy exactly mm-hmm. what the pharmaceutical medical complex wants out of you. This to be a life long drug taker. Yeah, which I'm not, yeah, I definitely won't do. So then don't so. have the test. Just don't have the test. So, so do you think, have the test. can I, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I was just curious. Um, oh, and curiosity killed the, <laughs> the cat. <laughs> I tell you, I have seen a lot of people get into a lot of trouble through curiosity. Yeah. So again, you ask yourself, am I willing to do what they want me to do if I don't pass the test? 
Would you and if the answer that? is no, then it's pointless to take the test in the first place, right? Because it's only going to create stress and distress all around. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. My parents never get any testing. <laughs> and I was just curious. So I was like, Exactly. I'm, There's I'm, a really great book by Barbara Ehrenreich called Natural Causes, mm-hmm. an epidemic of wellness, how we kill ourselves to live longer. Mm-hmm. In which she comes out very, very strongly, strongly, much more strongly than I do against all this testing. Interesting. Okay. She literally says we're killing ourselves by doing this. Because you get we get curious and then we get freaked out and then we start taking drugs and the drugs kill us. I mean, do you think that just by having the information it would be useful then to change because I'm not you gonna fe- take No. Do you feel no. that this information was useful? That's not what I'm getting from you. What I'm getting from you is a kind of low-level panic. That you've gotten information that the solution to is to take a drug, but you don't want to take the drug. Well, I feel like I have a lot of, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Hmm. I don't, if I don't you think pers- you personally <laughs> feel that you want to eat less dietary cholesterol, you're welcome to do that. But I will tell you that in the vast majority of cases, reducing dietary cholesterol does nothing to circulating cholesterol. Right. Almost okay. all of which is made by the liver. Okay. Which is why they give you a pill. Right. Because dietary things had little effect on circulating cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And again, inflammation, it's not the meat, it's the inflammation. The meat you're eating probably has a good ratio of omega-2 to omega-6. Mm-hmm. The meat most people are eating has a lot of omega-6, and that leads to inflammation. Mm-hmm. And then they're eating it with a lot of vegetable oil, which is really high in omega-6, which then jacks up that inflammation. Now we're getting set for a heart attack, and they're going to blame it on the meat. Uh-huh. Because they certainly don't want to blame soy oil or canola oil or fish. Those are heart-healthy oils, and they are, <laughs> but not. Right. They're meat. Right, and that was kind of my intuition is just because I don't eat, like, zero processed foods, even if it's, like, fancy organic processed foods. So, like, kind of my intuition well, is that. All food, almost all food is processed. I mean, we're human beings, you know. Even goat right. processed just, food, come on, they put it in a room and cook it before they even get it to their stomach. So what, what you're talking about is ultra-processed. Yeah, like, Chips in which there's no recognizable food left, or the list of right. ingredients is my my pretty much my top is like six ingredients, although I prefer four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, yeah. it's been wonderful yeah. talking to you, and I must go so that okay, I can introduce you. my guest, Green Blessings. We're so thank excited you. to have Doctor. 
Green Blessings. Good night. We are so excited to have Dr. Maya Sheetreet with us tonight. Maya Sheetreet, MD, is a neurologist, an herbalist, an urban farmer, and the author of The Dirt Cure and the Master Plant Experience, The Science, Safety, and Sacred Ceremony of Psychedelics. She's been featured in the New York Times, The Telegraph, NPR, Sky News, The Dr. Oz Show, and more. And Dr. Maya is the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she teaches earth-based programs for transformational healing, including professional training programs for psychedelic-assisted approaches. Dr. Sheetreet works and studies with indigenous communities and healers from around the world. She's a lifelong student of ethnobotany, plant healing, and the sacred. Welcome to the show, Dr. Maya. Hi, thank you for having me. We're very, very excited to have you and to get to talk uh, with somebody who, like me, thinks that dirt is a healing substance. (laughs) Well, it's funny because when I brought that title to the publisher, as you might imagine, they were pretty horrified. And uh, not long after that, the whole idea of soil being connected to our immune systems and our guts and our food and our bodies and our brains became kind of a hot idea. But until they made that connection, they thought having the word dirt in a title was the worst idea ever. <laughs> the worst idea ever, right? Oh, no, not dirt. Oh, people hate dirt. What? <laughs> the whole thrust of modern medicine is no dirt, no dirt. Right? As a matter of fact, we have a hygiene crisis, right? Right. Well, it's all about avoid, 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 right? What we can't do, what we can't have. What we've done is really exquisite and beautiful and so compassionate and caring. We have created a food supply safe enough for the weakest of us. Unfortunately, it's made all the rest of us weak. Well, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, I'm not sure the way we've we've created a food supply that uh, is, plentiful, but pretty empty of nutrients. And we've depleted the soil in ways that means that any food that we're growing could easily be depleted of nutrients. And Hmm. I I do not agree with you that the soil can ever be depleted. Well, where we, it depends we can, on where you're We can it. disturb the microbiome of the soil so the nutrients in the soil are no longer available to the plants, but we don't deplete those nutrients. Well, it really Depleting depends, them. I think, if you Somehow look at the soil. Like we're turning, turning the soil into a desert, but that's not actually what's happening. And it's also true in organic farming, which in, well, in the great Central Valley in California, I'm sure you've seen it, all the organic farmers start by laying black plastic down over the soil. Oh, but first they put down black plastic irrigation pipe, and then they put the black plastic, and then they plant the plants by pushing the black plastic through and into the soil. And this is organic. Yeah, I mean, when we test soil, obviously we're talking about the the top the top soil where we're getting most of the growing. So the soil itself is is like an organ, 
right, across it's the like whole It's like an organic supplement. Lamp, it has to right? have a microbiome that frees up the nutrients because the minerals especially have to be in an ionic form in order to be usable by living tissues. And that's where the bacteria come in. Right. Well, and the because bacteria are also... Know. And I have seen it over and over, and you as an urban farmer have seen, you've gone into a vacant lot which is dry and sterile, hardly any weeds will grow, and brought ripe compost and compostable things, and within a year, there's nourished soil there. It's quite a miracle, isn't it? Yeah, well, I do think life responds to life. And that's certainly a lot what you're doing. So tell us a little more, if you would, about the dirt cure and what you found and what you propose. Well, really the underlying concept of the dirt cure is that there are three major pillars that are essential for the health of children and families and everybody, which is being exposed to germs and microbes, eating fresh food from healthy soil, and spending time in nature. And that all of those things together actually are the foundations of health, wellness, and well-being. Amen, sister. The dirt cure. Here at the Wise Women's Center, I show people what plants that they can forage, and we make a salad from them. And sooner or later, one of them looks at me and says, wait a second, you've been telling us that there's no nutrition available from raw food, and yet we're eating this salad. And I said, yeah, it's actually my clever way to get you to eat dirt. (laughs) Because none of it is washed, right? They wash their hands, but they don't wash the things that they pick. And not that there's soil on them, not that it's gritty, not that we're wearing our teeth down. You know, we're sophisticated, so we know we're talking about microbes and bacteria here, which don't have to be in physical soil. And uh, my, my friend Ryan Drum says, oh, you know, just like a girl to be sneaky, I just tell them, take a teaspoon of good organic garden soil, put it in a glass of water, and drink it down first thing in the morning. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I think we forget that we live now in these homes that are sort of like boxes that seal us off from the outside world. And we're always, you know, cleaning, 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 cleaning. And really, historically, we were all outdoors to gather our food, to maybe care for animals, to do everything that we needed to do. And we were being exposed from... You know, think about babies crawling on the floor. I mean, they are supposed to be feeding their microbiome again and again and again and training their nervous systems and helping their brains to develop by creating this microbial environment, hand to mouth and so on. Um, On the other side of it, we have all these studies now that show that exposure to bleach actually increases infections, respiratory infections. There were several studies done in Europe looking at children who were in environments where they were using bleach regularly in schools or in homes. And those children had much higher rates of bronchitis and other chronic respiratory illness. So uh, we've kind of been taught something that's upside down about our health. 
I had an MD who was an apprentice here who came specifically because she was convinced that antibiotic ointment causes infection. I said, no, you don't really mean it causes it. She said, all right, it doesn't, but it promotes it. She says, you have an infection, and you put an antibiotic ointment, it's going to get much worse, and it's going to attract bad bacteria. Yeah, I mean, what really is happening when we take antibiotics, even orally, but it can also be topically, is that we narrow down the number of kinds of microbes. So the diversity of microbes is very much decreased. And what really supports our immune systems the most is having many, 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 many kinds of microbes, a diversity of microbes, and that prevents any one microbe from growing out of control in a way that we describe as an infection. So it is definitely more dangerous to take antibiotics or use topical antibiotics as a first resort for any illness or infection than to be doing things to strengthen the microbiome and strengthen the immune system. Absolutely. On a somewhat different topic, you have followed what I consider a really interesting American healer's path of the uh, 20th and 21st century, which is that most American notable healers are involved with psychedelics in some way. And that's become something that's a focus for you now. Is that true? It is. I um, I always say that I got involved in psychedelics kind of kicking and screaming. It was not actually a completely intentional step in my, in my journey. Um, I was interested definitely in learning about master plants. And um, the more involved I got in studying with indigenous healers, learning with the plants, growing the plants myself, and um, and seeing how effectively they could really transform people with chronic illness and long-standing mental illness and conditions that are really very difficult to treat through, even the most integrative and most natural means, all different approaches failed, and master plants and psychedelics were able to transform that. And, you know, both from a from a, as a doctor and as a person who works as a spiritual guide together, it just made sense to me to really bring my own perspective to the conversation that's happening right now as psychedelics have really kind of shot back to the forefront of conversation. Hey, it only took 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> It is actually kind of fast in the field of medicine. Would it take 100 and 120 years before doctors agreed to wash their hands? <laughs> Change can be slow. Change can be ferociously slow. So it's interesting to me that you call them master plants because I call them power plants. And I say to people that the reason that I call them power plants is that they have their own power. 
And if you do not come to the use of a power plant with your power intact, guess what? The power plant is going to take you over. Well, and this, I think this, of course, is this is what frightens people. So I you're think teaching very much how to that's be in their true. power and how to work. I mean, I think in our society we don't really we don't really understand the concept of master in a form of being like a master teacher because our society doesn't really uh, educate people in that way. And you know, from my standpoint, the idea of master plants is right. They're transmitting. They're ma- they're master teachers that transmit ancient knowledge and gifts and as you say you know and actually i think the overwhelming position of the teachers that i worked with is not that these plants are good or bad but that they're powerful and the pitfalls as well as the gifts all come from that power just as you say so we have to learn how to come and interface with power and Absolutely, yes. that is where the healing comes from. And you are, I believe, teaching people how to help other people find this power when working with master plants, power plants. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to say more about that or let people who are interested know how to get in touch with you about that? Sure. Yeah, so part of the reason that I created this program, this training program, is because I think as this psychedelics renaissance, as it's being called, um, is entering into medicine, I'm seeing a lot of, I think, concerning, I mean, concerning approaches and uh, positions by both the psychedelic community, the medical community, the pharmaceutical community. And for me, I think that there is a very important way to come with respect and reverence and reciprocity to understand some of the indigenous approaches and the history and lore of each of the plants and, and to understand the neuroscience and the support and the therapy, as well as to understand macro dosing, micro dosing, and quantum dosing of psychedelic master plants. And so in the context of all of this, and it has really opened a spiritual conversation in the medical profession and conversation about the mystical and all kinds of things that I think are tremendously important to the entire conversation about medicine beyond psychedelics, I think we're in a little bit of treacherous territory right now. And I really want the people who are ready to engage with that approach of reverence, respect, reciprocity, and appreciation, and to understand that these are powerful beings and support people accordingly and have their voices out in the world as psychedelics are becoming decriminalized and medicalized and legalized. Um, So we have this program now that's um, our first cohort is beginning in January, 2024 to become 
um, psychedelic informed therapist. And some people are going to be obviously a lot of licensed professionals, but we also have other people who um, who are not necessarily doctors or nurses or psychologists who are going to be doing the training as well, um, who want to be involved in the ceremonial environment. And then, you know, we will let the we will let the law decide who can do what where um, because I think it's most important to be doing and coming from a position of harm reduction. Um, so people who want to apply can go to my website, drmaya.com, um, and uh, get on the waiting list. Um, our applications are actually opening at the end of this month. Susan? Hi, Dr. Maya. This is Sarah Ellen. I think Susan is still connected. Check in here. Ellen, let me back in. You have to push my button, Sarah oh. Ellen. Come on, push my button. I see you. You're in. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Somehow I got shunted off. Thank you for putting me back in. That's very exciting, Dr. Maya. Extremely exciting. I had no idea that it was that brand new. Uh, Chris, you know, as I said, for me, this has like been 60 years in the making um, because I was back there at the very beginning of um, working with LSD in the 60s. And, it, of course, that's what it was originally created for, was to help people to be here and not be lost in their minds. As a matter of fact, my personal name for the plants that I call power plants, that you call master plants, is realitrons. Hmm. They allow us to see reality. It's like they pull back the veil. And, you know, I personally have taken psychedelic substances over 500 times and guided five or 600 people as well. And I just have seen for myself and others over and over again that suddenly the limiting beliefs and the limiting thoughts and all of that fall away. It's not like you have to work through anything. They just fall away from people. One of my students was in one of the early studies about psilocybin. She was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she was one of the ten people in that study. All the, the other nine died, but she didn't. And after 11 years, she said to me, she said, I need to trip again. I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting what's real. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because in our society, we have been conditioned to think that what we perceive as reality is really the only thing. And everything else that comes in dreams, that comes in visions, that comes in journeys, that comes in um, what we call hallucinations and even psychosis is not real, it's false. But what's really interesting, particularly um, as I did the research for my book, is I, I saw how actually the what's found in visions, what people discover in visions is probably a wider opening of sensory gating. So quite likely it's actually, as you say, a, a broader vision of reality, whatever that is, than what it is that we see in this very tamped down, um, narrow 
sensory gating that we're acculturated and educated in. Um, so the world being that bright and that profound is actually closer to reality, as you say, than we've been led to believe. And it brings such joy when we, when we know that. It brings such an immense connectedness and joy. I'm sure that you have seen that as well in working with these plants. And I think a big part of that joy comes from a sense of trust and a sense of connection to the intelligence that's all around us rather than this idea that we're on some random piece of dirt in the middle of the universe, in the middle of other universes, that's kind of meaningless. It's like actually this opportunity to understand that we ourselves are a universe within a universe within a universe. And there is this intelligence in every cell in our bodies, in our mitochondria, in the microbes, and beyond and beyond and beyond, you know, from our ancestors all the way to future generations and, and outside of that. So it's a very special kind of experience and medicine to be able to connect to that level of community and have that sense of trust. Yes. Yes, I frequently say that if you give yourself an hour alone in nature, nature will convince you that you are her favorite child. <laughs> well, the more people actually are willing to spend that time in nature, the more likely it is that they will discover that, right? But we we don't even let most small children, I mean, to, through many years of practice that I did pediatric neurology, children would spend entire days indoors for school and maybe have 20 minutes outside in an entire day, even when they were like four or five years old. So little time outdoors on maybe like a blacktop or turf and not have that kind of experience of being in nature, which we all need all the time, but certainly children need the most. And which, I believe, is the basis of spiritual seeking. To be in nature mm-hmm. awakens the human desire to be more and to be more profound. I know with my granddaughter and her friends, we used to have little girls at the farm on Fridays. And I would walk with them out into the woods, and then I would encourage them to walk a little away from me, even at very young ages. And then, to, then you know, the next time to walk a little further and a little further, until eventually they would confidently walk where they couldn't even see me, although they could still hear my voice. Yeah, I think that that is also the basis for developing decision-making and understanding how to discern situations all comes from that feeling of connection uh, in, the, in the context of independence, right, having that combination. Um, and I think feeling that sense of being comfortable in nature and like it's home and like it's a friend rather than it's a dangerous place where terrible things could happen to you, which is how a lot of children that I've seen um, in urban and suburban areas have, have grown to feel. So I absolutely agree. More time 
more time in nature is probably the best education that children can have and that adults can have. Yes, I sometimes jokingly say that my life is devoted to getting people over the fear of nature that their parents inculcated in them. Yeah, absolutely. We're all we're all in a deprogramming. <laughs> oh, so I know that you probably had, even though this. The psychedelic training with the master plants is a new thing that you probably even have something else ticking in the background, some new thing. Do you want to share anything about that? Well, we do have a really beautiful, um, a really beautiful product. And when I say we, I mean me and my plants, which I grow, the master plants like ayahuasca, San Pedro cactus, Brugmansia, and many, many others. And um, that's part of my service to the plants is tending them and one day they communicated to me why do people think that they need to ingest us to experience our medicine show them another way and it was a little shocking to me this was many many years ago now and we worked together uh, in ceremony to create a vibrational form of master plants in the context of ceremony, which we call ceremony in a bottle or quantum drops. And I... Uh, that's, at, well, I wanted to ask you about the quantum dose. Mm-hmm. So okay. I was very, so <laughs> very surprised to discover in the process of creating them that as we started to work with them and test them, that people were having incredibly profound shifts. And it was, for me, actually unbelievable. I was obviously the first skeptic that I had to face before any other skeptic. And um, it's just been a really amazing journey to see how many people are experiencing this vibrational medicine as something very healing and profound and actually is, allowing them, people who are children or sober or pregnant or medically sensitive or otherwise, or just sensitive, right, to be able to engage with these vibrational transmissions. And in the process, I've worked a lot on understanding quantum biology, quantum physics, meeting with a lot of different people, just because I think it's interesting to have the whole big picture. So that's something I've been really engaged in is um, is supporting people through these quantum activations um, with quantum drops. Wow. I could talk to you for much longer, but we are so constrained here. They're going to cut us off in a couple of minutes. So I want to thank you, Dr. Maya Shitreet. And let you know that I think we're engaged in the work of reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And to thank you mm-hmm. for the vibrancy, the power, and the deep sacred thrum of all of the threads that you've added to the weaving tonight. I know that you, you probably heard that I am engaged in restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And I think that the work you're doing with the realitrons, with the master plants, is just exactly what the people need to reclaim their rightful 
co-creative power with the plants. Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you, what's the last thing that you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody listening? I think I would just say coming with a reverent respect, reciprocity, and understanding that it's okay to engage with power with that in that context is is really the gift. Dr. Maya Sheetreet, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Sarah Ellen, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Love you, Justine. Green blessings and love to everybody else. Good night. See you next week.